At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, welcome to the TFL Classics Podcast. We've got a great one for you today. We are talking about runny eggs. <laughs> no, Tom, that's that's off camera. We talk about runny <laughs> eggs. Today, no, we are actually taking a suggestion from a Patreon follower, right? We sure are, that's right. So Dan over at Patreon sent us a fantastic message. He said, we are looking forward to the next episode. He gave us a list of fantastic topics. He's doing our job for us over here. Thanks. Dan coming through with the great suggestions, but he suggested the 10 best 4x4 classic vehicles. What a great suggestion, Dan. In fact, such a good suggestion, we ran with it. And uh, I had to refine it just a little bit because 4x4 I thought was just a little too broad because I was like, God, I could list 50 cars here. But uh, I narrowed it down to SUVs that come in four doors so you can also do some overlanding. Yes, he basically, Brendan took your fantastic idea and made it more boring. <laughs> that's just, what he did. Just a little more focused, that's, okay. that's all. Maybe we'll do other 4x4s later on, uh, but today I think we just focus on the SUVs. But if you want your idea featured on the TFL Classics podcast so we don't have to do our job, we would love that to be true. So follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash TFLcar. We'll also feature your ride if you want to send us some pictures. Heck, you can even send us a video. Heck, we may even do cut talk to you on the phone. Yeah. Just How about you just record a YouTube video for us and, you know, we'll just publish it. <laughs> but we we greatly appreciate yeah. the, uh, the the pledges because this last podcast made like four dollars and thirty five cents. It didn't even pay for my runny egg. Imagine that. You know what Brendan just said to me? Brendan just turned to me and said, "You know what I like on my hash browns? Not ketchup. But but what, what did you say? What were your words that you used? Ranch and hot sauce. Oh my gosh. And I, and I want those hash browns a little extra crispy too, so they give a little a little bit of crunchiness and oiliness in my mouth as I'm eating them. You're saying ranch dressing. The salad dressing. Come on. Everybody knows <laughs> we're, we're in America here, Tommy, where everybody has already caught on to the fact that ranch is used for just more than salads. Okay. Salads, maybe the occasional French fry. <laughs> Are you saying that you can also stretch that limitation 
to hash browns? Absolutely. I mean, oh my gosh. What, what is a, ha- a French fry made of? Potatoes. What are hash browns made of? Potatoes. It's not that far of a stretch, I don't think. That's that's not how that works. Well, what do you put on your hash browns? <laughs> ketchup, like a normal person. Oh, gosh. I don't know that that's normal either. You I also, think we're both weird. Do you put ketchup on your eggs? No, that's gross. That's how you're supposed to do it. That's why they have ketchup <laughs> at the breakfast restaurant. No, you either got to just go basic with like cheese, salt, and pepper, or you do hot sauce. Oh, my and gosh. And that's it. Absolutely not. <laughs> Oh Brendan's God. over here ruining ruining the sacred art of hash browns. Now, before we get into our list, uh, there's a lot of before we get into the list. Brendan told me something interesting today. He said, when I wake up every morning, I don't take a shower. I don't go for a walk. I don't have breakfast. No, what he does instead is plays video games, but one video game in particular. Gran Turismo. Which one? The newest one. The newest yeah, one. Yeah, Gran Turismo 7. But what I like about it is he pitched it as such like a ritualistic thing. He yeah. was like, 30 minutes every morning. 30 minutes every morning. I mean, I'm an early riser, and I like to kind of slowly wake up, right? Like, I don't want to – I'm not one of those types that, like, pops up and I go running and work out and all that. But I just want to go from my bed to my couch, turn on some Gran Turismo, pick out a car that I'm digging, pick a race, and I do about 30 minutes or so of some <laughs> racing – to help get my juices flowing, my mind going, and then I'm ready for the day. What time are, what time are we talking here? Like 5 in the morning. <laughs> We're playing Grand Theory about 5, in the morning. Yeah, just what, about. What's your wife doing at this time? She's still sleeping. While you're playing Grand Theory. Yeah. Well, I will play Grand Turismo, feed the dogs, maybe do a little workout, uh, eat my breakfast, shower, and she'll still be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you always pick the same car and the same track? No, I got to switch it up. My goal in Gran Turismo is to own every single car in the game. So the more that I race, the more credits that I get where I can build my dream garage. Uh, how big is your garage right now? It's got over 200 cars. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> What's your favorite car in your garage? Oh, my gosh. That's like asking me to pick between my dogs. There are, there's so many good ones in there. When the Gran Turismo police combine confiscate every car but one, what are you keeping? Oh, I think I really like the Alpine. The Alpine. Yeah, the Alpine. The the I forget. I think it's called the A110. Oh, yeah. The, the newer version of it sure. that we didn't get here in the U.S. It's yep. just so cool. Is it really? Yeah, Very I like cool. it a lot. Yeah, that's a really great choice. Um, anyways, I just I had to put that out there because I thought it was interesting. But in this episode, um, we're going to dive right into the, the list because now everyone's tuned out. Um, and number 10 on the list of the best affordable four-door off-road overland SUVs. <laughs> Great catchy title, Brendan. Yeah. What do we have? Uh, so I wanted to go with something tried and true that everybody was familiar with, and I went with the Toyota 4Runner. Cool. And we're specifically focusing on the third-generation 4Runner. Um, and I think that's kind of the sweet spot as far as 4Runners go. The old ones do look really cool, don't get me wrong. But uh, if you go with the third-generation, which came out in 96 and they sold through 2002 – I think they're probably one of the more reliable. And did you know this? It was the last generation 4Runner to be offered with a manual transmission. I did know that. Now, these cars are, um, um, I'm struggling for the words here. These cars are a little boring. I hate to say it. You know, I have bad blood with these 4Runners. Why? I have bad blood because back in high school, I had a Jeep Wrangler YJ, the really square one with the square headlights. And I thought it was the jam. 
And my friend had a bone stock forerunner and it was comfy and it was quiet and it was low to the ground and easy to get in and out of. And we always go wheeling and I was in this Wrangler with open tops and big lift kits and it was rattly, but I was like, I'm sacrificing the on-road for the off-road capability. And he was a hundred thousand times more capable over everything. Every hole that I'd get stuck in, his forerunner would go through. Every ditch that I'd, I'd you know, get caught up on, his forerunner would go right through. So I've got, I've got bad juju with these third gen forerunners. Really? Because I thought I was the jam in that lifted Wrangler. You know, I was like hardcore, top off all the time. Like, yeah, this is the off-road lifestyle. And he did, was in this beige stock third gen and would just crawl over everything I got stuck on. Wow, that's interesting. You got shown up by a forerunner in your Wrangler. I yeah. mean, that that really does kind of speak to the capability of these. Honestly, that they can keep even just keeping up with a Wrangler off road. I think is impressive considering the fact that you're getting a car that in all facets really is just a better vehicle to live with. So if you have a car that has to be your daily driver as well as an off-roader and it has to be something reliable, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find something that's going to be better than a 4Runner. Yeah, all joking aside, they are phenomenally good. And they're all the champagne beige color. Yeah, I mean, they're not... They're not the most interesting cars to look at, that's for What is sure. up with that? I mean, okay, not all. Then there was like a green and a red and a black and a green, allegedly. But <laughs> every time I see a third gen 4Runner, it's always this champagne silver. Well, it's, it's all the uh, Scotty Kilmer type that are like, you know, what should I go out and buy? Toyota. What, don't even look at any other brands. Just buy a Toyota. <laughs> what color? Beige. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, are there any other cars like that? That I can think of one other where every time you see them, they are the exact same color. Maybe the first generation Mercedes ML. Great choice. And what color is that? Beige. Beige. Gold. There you go. Yeah. Beige and gold. I would pitch you even a better one. What's that? Every GMT 800 Chevrolet from the early 2000s. Yeah, especially the Suburban. Is the champagne. It is. I don't know if I've ever yeah. seen one that is not that champagne. It's like no, Ford with the Model T. They're like, you can have it any colors you want as long as it's um, grandma champagne. That's true. I mean, I guess it's it's the color that's not really offensive, right? Like, right. That everybody can kind of like – no one's like, oh, God, I, won't ha I don't want to have that color. But nobody is also like, I have to have that champagne color either. It's just, <laughs> you know, that car rolls across and you go, all right. Fine, I'll take that one. I'll take that's the fine. champagne. That's fine. Yes, that's right. <laughs> now let's keep going with the Forerunner 3.4 liter V6, the Venerable 3.4, 217 pound feet of torque, 180 horsepower. They called this the Land Cruiser Colorado in the UK. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Is that true? It, yeah. So it didn't look exactly the same because I think it was based off of the, what did they call that uh, in the rest of the world? The Toyota Land Cruiser. Oh, the Prado. Prado. Well, that's a totally um, different vehicle. Well, it's the same platform. Believe it's it or not. It's sort of the same platform. Yeah? Sort of. It's pretty different underneath. Okay. It looks similar, but it's different underneath. So the Forerunner in Japan, I know this, was called the Hilux Surf. Which Interesting. Is I saw one the other day. Um, it had a diesel engine in it. Um, Land, but Land Cruiser Colorado, I did not know. So this is a 70 series Land Cruiser, basically, I think. Um, maybe I'm just all over the board. We're, we're going to ignore everything I just said because all the Toyota Forerunner. people... Forerunner. <laughs> all the Toyota people are going to come out at me and be, you're wrong. Well, and, and here's the other thing, too. The third gen Forerunner was the first generation of Forerunner that offered the selectable electronic locking rear diff as well. And that's another reason why I picked the third gen over the first or second gen. Because when you're talking about something that's going off-road, having that locking rear diff being electronically selectable, 
makes it pretty convenient. Okay, here we go. The J90 series Land Cruiser. So, yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, it's a Prado underneath, basically. But anyways, no. it's cool to know that they had one called the Colorado. Um, would you get the manual transmission foreigner or the automatic? It depends on my use case. If I was using it as a, da uh, a daily driver, oddly enough, I would go with a manual. If I was using it for something off-roading, I'd go with an automatic. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem pretty backwards. I know. but It, it is true, though. I mean, off-roading a manual is significantly harder it than off-roading an automatic. And I just... I mean, I know with my skill set, I probably would go through too many clutches because um, I'd be riding that clutch when, when I'm going uphill on some tougher terrain. Um, maybe when, when you're in that low gear or crawl mode, it might not be so bad. But I just think using an automatic off-road is just, it's just way easier, honestly. So number nine on the list, we are switching gears completely here to an iconic four-wheel drive from the UK, the Range Rover Classic. Yep. And... My goal here was, all right, if I'm going to recommend somebody actually buy a Range Rover or Land Rover type product, what's the most reliable one you could get? And from everything that I've been researching, it seems like these Range Rover classics are actually surprisingly reliable. I mean, it's reliable in the sense of a Range Rover. It's not a forerunner. Um, but as far as if you had to get something from the UK... I think you'd be hard-pressed to find something more reliable than that as far as an off-roader goes. That's a bold move. Y wow. Yeah? I don't know if I agree with that at all. Really? What would you... If you had to pick something specifically from the UK yeah. as an off-roader for reliability, what would you pick? 06 through 09 LR3 Land Rovers. Really? Yeah, they're the best they've ever done. Yeah, AJV8, okay. good transmissions. The air suspension is pretty good. Range Rover Classics are kind of hit and miss. So some of the export models with the diesel engines, the powertrains are very long-lived. The ones that came to the States, pretty terrible. Really? For reliability. Well, yeah. the interesting thing is, is they had been building these for a while. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't mean and much And we didn't the get UK. them until 1987. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there were a lot that came to the U.S. actually pre-1987 via the gray market. Um, and what I think is interesting too is once they finally did officially sell, start officially selling them here in the U.S., they were such in de uh, demand and such low supply that most of people were buying these and then immediately reselling them and marking them up, even back in the 80s. I have a confession. What's that? I do not like the Range Rover Classic at all. Really? I don't like it at all. No. I think it looks great. Because there are so many other Land Rover products from the era which are virtually the same underneath, but are like an eighth of the price. So the Range Rover Classics now are getting pretty expensive. Like a good one's gonna run you upward of 30 grand. Keep in mind, you can get a first generation Discovery here in the States for like four grand, which is virtually the same underneath. You've got the same Rover V8 engine, solid axles front and back. Um, they're just, they're not as stylish, but they're just the better vehicle for well, the Well, don't value. they also have a lot of other electronics and gizmos no, and these stuff have that more. can go bad? Really? The classics have a lot more than the, the really? especially the late classics. Yeah, if you get like the, the rubber dash classics. I just don't like the classic thing for the value. When they were like four grand, I was like, oh my God, Range Rover Classic's awesome. Now that they're 25 grand, you're just buying a liability. So I'm, 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 I'm coming down hard on this one, Brendan. I don't like Range Rover Classics. And the other thing, too, is everyone's like, they're aluminum, they don't rust. Well, you go underneath them, everything's still steel. And then the parts that are steel on these, like the rear hatches, well, the only bit that's steel, and they rust like it's going out of fashion. Like, they're just, they're just really poorly made. And if you're going to buy a poorly made Land Rover product from the 90s, just get a cheap one, like a um, Discovery 1 or a uh, early Discovery 2. 
Man, I don't know. These, these Range Rover classics the are just, why are just they, so cool. Why are they speaking to you? What What is the appeal? The boxy styling, the simplicity of them, the visibility with the greenhouse. And you can see the, those discoveries all over the place. How often do you see a Range Rover classic? I, like At the Land Rover shop, quite frequently. <laughs> They're all lined up there. Pick your poison, whichever yeah. one you want. No, I think that the early ones are really cool, um, especially the, the two doors, uh, oh, the yeah. export ones with the diesels I can kind of get behind. But any of the U.S. ones, especially like the, the 95s, they just got so complicated and I had to, they don't do it for me. I'd rather get a Discovery one. Uh, but I do understand kind of the, the regalty of yeah. a Range Rover Classic. I think, I mean, if I were to get one, I would probably definitely get one pre-1987 as well. Mm -hmm. I would get one that was maybe gray market imported from the 70s. That'd be cool. You know, um, I think that that's kind of the the sweet spot for those, to be honest with you. I think they do look great. Now, (laughs) I'm glad you put the 1988 at one Playboy's best 4x4 award. Because when I think of the the authority (laughs) in four-wheel drive, I think Playboy. Um, But actually, you actually have another interesting tidbit here. In 1989, they did do a Great Divide expedition, which was a 12-day trek throughout the Rocky Mountains here in Colorado. I actually know a couple of journalists that went on that. Really? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, pretty cool group of folks. they have anything interesting to say about it? They did, actually. They said it was a ton of fun. Um, And the expedition leader still lives in Colorado. He also did the Camel Trophy um, back in, like, the 80s. But what I talked to the journalists about is they they were going over pretty serious terrain. And they did this thing where every time you scrunched a piece of bodywork, like a quarter panel or a a rocker, you signed your name to that panel in pen. Oh, that's kind of cool, It was, like, owning up to, like, that is my dent. Yeah. (laughs) So that that. is a cool... Cool thing. Yeah, I, I, I did like that. Um, all right. Now, I do want to take a quick tangent. Okay. Because we got to go into stories from the auction with Brendan. Oh, boy. So Brendan attends the weekly dealer auto auction of the Rockies here in Colorado, gets to experience what the dealers are seeing on the back end of things. And what are some of the cool things you saw last week? So last week um, maybe wasn't the best week, but there were a few interesting cars there. One was a Mazda Protégé wagon with a manual transmission. That Is I was, that interesting? <laughs> yeah, well, I was kind of digging it. I think they competed with, like, the Honda Civic Si back wow, then. Wow, okay. So they were a little peppy. You know, they were fun. You could have it in a wagon form with a manual transmission. And, um, I mean, this is a dealer auction, so cars tend to be a little bit cheaper than what you'd find in the private market. And so I was thinking, uh, it's got about 130,000 miles. It was donated. I don't know any history about it. Maybe maybe if I can snag it for like three thousand bucks, I'll grab it. It ended up going for forty seven hundred dollars. Forty seven hundred dollars. Yeah, for, for a protege. For a protege wagon. Yeah, wow. I can't I, believe it. They're pretty attractive little cars. They are. Yeah, I like them. That's pretty cool. Anything else that you saw that was of note? Um, I did try and get a Saturn Astra XR. I have no idea but what that car is. That also went for a bit too much money. I think they're actually pretty cool. They they um, were the Opel Astra. In the in the Europe, okay, and so GM brought them over, just threw a Saturn badge on them, and sold them here in the U.S. So they were actually, I think, a European-built hot hatch that was sold underneath the Saturn brand. And I tried to pick one up, but it was it was a little rough. It uh, looked like it had been in a front end an accident, and uh, it also went for way more than I was willing to spend. But I thought it would be a cool one to have. I have. Such a blind spot for like the early 2000s General Motor cars. 
Really? So like I like their trucks and I like their uh, their sports cars, like the Corvette and the Camaro. And I think those are awesome. But like their line of passenger cars are such a mystery to me, especially Saturn and Pontiac. That's that such era, a shame. They had so many interesting. I know vehicles. that era of car. I just I for whatever like, think reason. Think about the Saturn Sky. That is cool. I do know about the skies yeah. and the solstice. But for example, two weeks ago. We were walking out of the auction, and you said, that's a cool car. And I said, what are you pointing at? He said, that's Pontiac. And I'm like, what, that G6? And you're like, that's not just any G6. Yeah, it was a GTP with a manual transmission. A car I had no idea existed. Yeah. You know? No idea. So front-wheel drive, it looks it looks like my shoe. It's kind of a boring car. Yeah. Well, you know, oddly enough, those uh, G6s, you know how they got their popularity? How's that? Oprah. Oprah? Yeah. What did Oprah do, you, do with Do them? you remember when Oprah said... That whole saying, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. I do. That was the Pontiac G6. <laughs> <laughs> they all got Pontiac G6s. That's funny. I yeah. didn't know that. Well, anyways, I never looked twice at the G6 because I thought it was just a, um, uh, I almost said Prohibition era, a recession era. <laughs> it's not quite that old. A recession yeah, era of... GM product. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But I didn't know they did a GTP, yeah, which they... had a big V6. It did, yeah. It had a big V6 putting out, I think, about 260. 40-ish, 200, somewhere between 240, 260 horsepower to the front wheels. Um, pretty peppy little sedan. They also made them in coupe form. Um, I don't know. I've just, I've always kind of dug them, to be honest. They later called them the GXP, but they're essentially the same thing. Yeah. It, later ones got the 3.9, 240 horsepower. I think that's the one we drove. Yeah. And by God, did it go like hell in a straight line? Yeah, that thing's pretty Pepsi. It did. I mean, it torque steered uh, like crazy, but right. I was impressed. And it had this crazy pano roof for like a, whatever that was, like a 2009, 2010 car. I was like, this is a lot of car for the money, yeah. considering they go for just a few thousand dollars. Because most people are like me, they have no idea what it is. I thought it was pretty rad. Yeah, I, I'd set my number at about 2,000 bucks. It ended up going for, I think it was like 2,700 or something, which. It's still actually a decent deal because it was, it was in pretty nice shape, but I, I'm pretty strict when I come to my budgets. If That's the only way that you don't lose money on cars is if you set a strict budget and you stick to it, you tend not to lose money on cars, at the auctions at least. That's a lot of self-control. Yeah. Lot, well, it had 140,000 miles on it too, so it sure. was, it, you know. It, we're not talking a pristine condition. Although by Brendan's standards, 140, he's like, that's that's my exact ideal mileage right there. <laughs> exactly. well, that's a little low. It's a little low, me, yeah. yeah. Brendan, does, Brendan doesn't touch anything under 400K is his, yeah. his goal. Um, he's got – I want to revisit that, by the way. Brendan has this thing where he, he, he does not like driving cars with even high mileage because he's worried about the car depreciating. Well, yeah, like I have a Mini Cooper that only has 60,000 miles on it, and I get stressed out every time I drive it. <laughs> Because I'm like, this trip to work, it just appreciated a little bit, you know. Well, so, so what's the ideal mileage? Well, you have, so you have hurdles, right? So you have the 100,000, 150,000, 200,000. And every time you hit one of those, the car depreciates. Okay. And so my ideally, you want to get it at the very, very bottom of that depreciation curve. And so it depends on the vehicle. Like my Yukon has 300,000 miles on it, although for a lot of people, not ideal, for me, I'm like, great. It's never going to be less valuable than it is right now. It's also broken a thousand miles away, though. Well, <laughs> there is yeah. a downside with the really high mileage stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, I agree. Like super low mile stuff, I'm not interested in. My yeah. sweet spot is a hundred to one fifty. That's okay. where I'm happiest. Maybe eighty to one fifty. 
Um, I have had not much luck above 160 in terms of reliability. Really? It seems like a lot of cars really go downhill quickly after 160. See, the ideal car for me has a ton of miles that has been maintained religiously. Right. The kinds of people that will drive their cars and maintain them. Because if you think about it, too, if a car has been sitting for a while, there are things that can go wrong just by it sitting as well. You I can agree. have flat-spotted tires. You could have seals that are worn out and leaks that develop. And so if you have a car that's been driven regularly, it tends to be more reliable than the one that's just been sitting in a garage forever. My qualifier there, though, is even if a car has been retained, maintained religiously, which is amazing, that's, that's what I want, at some point you hit a certain mileage where non-maintenance items fail. So, for example, like that front diff or that transfer case in your Yukon. I yeah. mean, even if you do change the fluids in those, you can extend their life significantly. But sure. at some point, it's just made so many rotations around the sun that it, it, it just is going to fail, right? The parts yeah. are going to wear out. And that's when things get really expensive, you know? And that's true. And it's different for every car, too. Oh, yeah, you know? for sure. You know, for my Yukon, 300,000 miles for something like a transmission or whatever going out, is fairly normal. If you had 300,000 miles on a Range Rover Classic, for example, <laughs> uh, everything would have been broken twice or three times already. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> Great point. Now let's move on down the list. We'll talk about my least favorite car here in the world in a minute, and we'll talk about your future buy. But I want to talk about the Hummer H2, a vehicle that nobody thinks is off-road capable because it was a poster child of conspicuous consumption. It was a vehicle driven by rappers and driven down Hollywood Boulevard on 23, but is actually an incredibly capable off-road vehicle and is pretty affordable still. Yeah, these came out in 2003. They made them all the way to 2009. Uh, the, the interesting thing that I found, actually, that I didn't know is, so the 03 through 07 came with this six liter V8, which is tried and true, great engine, putting out 316 horsepower or 325, depending on which year you got. But if you got an 08 or an 09, they put that newer 6.2 liter V8 in it that had 393 horsepower. It's a pretty significant bump, but not only that, but the uh, it would have a six speed auto versus the four speed auto. So I would think that those 08 and 09 uh, H2s are probably pretty quick compared to the earlier ones. Uh, you are correct, 100%. Yeah, they're, and honestly, any version of the H2 is going to be pretty reliable because of the powertrain, right? It's an HD truck powertrain designed for heavy-duty use cases, designed to tow and haul big loads, and it does a great job. Now, everyone um, thought that this car, when it came out, was just a rebadged Tahoe or Suburban. They had a lot of extensive engineering underneath to make it capable, locking rear differential, huge amounts of ground clearance. It had this really interesting frame design, forward hinging hood. These are great, great vehicles. Um, now, they're a lot cheaper than an H1. H1s are going to be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, $100,000. Uh, H2s, 10 to 15, maybe 20 for the best in the world. So yeah. huge price difference. That's, and that's a lot of car for the money. And not only that, but this is back when GM was building some of the most comfortable seats in the world. And the, the H2 seats are super, super nice. There's plush, they're squishy, they hug you in all the right places. It, they used really decent quality leather that actually does hold up really well. The rest of the interior plastics maybe isn't great, but <laughs> it looks uh, good. But it's the seats got, are awesome. Yeah, yeah. And like the rest of the interior, you've got like the funky shifter, right, with that big silver handle. I mean, it's just a cool. It brings out the five-year-old in you. 
It does. You could go buy a Suburban, and you probably should if you're looking to save money, but the H2, it's just more fun. It's almost as reliable. Sure, you can't see anything when you back up <laughs> or make a turn or try to merge because yeah. it's got windows that are like a big... Well, you can't in an H1 either, so this is just... <laughs> this is this an improvement. Is, it's just helping you feel that H1 experience, but in a much less expensive vehicle. The one I want, H3. Yeah, I would, I would take an H3 as well. Would Manual? you take it with... The V8 or the five-cylinder? Well, yeah, I, the correct answer is a V8, but I want the five-cylinder because I just think it's weird. It is weird. you like, what's under your hood? Five cylinders. <laughs> like, it's a GM weird. five-cylinder engine. I know. I just think it's it, so and strange. Manual transmission, adventure package, front and rear locker locking diffs. Those things are beasts. They're made out of bubblegum and tinfoil in terms of the interior quality. Yeah. But... They are very capable. Well, those are basically Chevy Colorados, aren't they? So, they sort of are, yeah. So related. If, if you think about it, the H2 is basically kind of like the uh, Chevy Silverado platform, sort of. similar in size. And the H3 is kind of like the Chevy Colorado platform in size. Got a lot so smaller. If, so yeah. You, yeah, so if you're having a hard time picturing the size difference between them, it's literally the difference between like a full-size truck and a mid-size truck. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, we're going to try something we've never done before. Oh, we're going to try to run an ad. Now there's an 80% oh chance that the ad system is not going to work and it's going to go in the wrong spot and we're just going to have a transition to nothing. But here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Folks, stay with us. Here we'll comes, be right back. Here comes the ad. Ad. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, has it worked? <laughs> I hope so. Did the ad go through? <laughs> well, if you're still here and you're still listening... Thanks. Thanks for listening <laughs> to the ad. <laughs> I think it went through. I don't know if we did it at the right spot. If we didn't, Cole's going to come down with the heavy fist. Our, our videographer, Cole, is going to be very upset about this. But um, I want to talk about a vehicle going up for auction this week. Okay. My least favorite car in the history of the automobile. Yeah? Yes. The Fiat 500? Not just the 500. The 500 is actually a fun car that is an homage to the original. We're talking about the new 500. We're talking about not the 500X, which I kind of understand because it's like a little adventurous crossover. Sure. The 500L. Yeah? You hate that one? Why do you hate it so much? The 500L 
is one of the worst vehicles of the modern era. Because it really? does what I hate, where it pretends to pay homage to the original, where it's like, look, I'm cute and bubbly, and I can fit in tiny spots, and, you know, I'm zippy. But it's none of those things. It's a big, blobby mess of a car that's relatively unreliable, with the worst manual transmission in history, and, unusually, one of the worst automatics in history as well, that is front-wheel drive only, even though it's pretending to be a crossover. They did a model called the Trekking, which had cladding on the side, and it was still front-wheel drive. It's poorly made, it's got poor interior quality, and it's just one of the most dismal, depressing vehicles of the last 15 years. But I have to say this, like we always ask, like think about like the Citroen Cactus. We always ask, why don't we get those weird, quirky European cars, right? Why don't they, Take that weird, interesting vehicle and bring it over here. I know it's kind of ugly, but we'll, we'll take it. And then they did that. They brought the Fiat 500L, and what did us Americans award them with? No sales. But the Very few people actually bought them. The Citroen Cactus was innovative in some ways. Like, it had that really funky um, padding on the side that was designed to, like, minimize dents and door dings and scratches in parking lots. The 500L has done nothing to actually <laughs> evolve the automobile. It's yeah. done a lot to devolve the automobile. And if you look at the used prices, like, we're talking about a seven-year-old car. They're, like, pennies on the dollar from what they were new. Wait, didn't these have the same engine? If you got the, the turbo, the 1.4 turbo, isn't that the same engine that was in the 500 Abarth? Yes, I think it was. So how can the transmission be that bad? Wasn't it? The, is it the same transmission? I don't or no? think it is. Okay. I believe it or not, I think it's a different transmission. Why would they do that? Because it's Fiat. <laughs> Let's oh, see. That's an interesting decision. Well, there there is one at the dealer auction this week, and I'm gonna go drive it. I wanna I wanna see just how bad this is, and who knows, maybe. Maybe if it goes cheap enough, I'll even end up with your least favorite car. I'm pretty sure because, yeah, look at this, 500L, a six-speed manual. And I want to say the Abarth was only ever a five-speed here in the States. Was it? So different transmission. Huh. And you're going to find out that that transmission is, is, is going to be like trying to convince someone in the bingo hall that you should turn <laughs> on football. I mean, on paper, gears. it sounds interesting. You, you Basically, you get a 500 Abarth. No, you don't. But four doors you absolutely and a little don't. more space. It is not at all like that. No? Because the Abarth, what made that 1.4 special in the Abarth was the sound and the fact that it was shuttling around this teeny tiny little car. That same engine in the 500L is very quiet because they intended it to be a golf cart at retiree homes. And <laughs> um, it's lugging around a whale of a car. So it is not fun. Well, I guess I'll find out. And the I'll suspension. I'll report back to you. I'll go drive it, and I'll go. I'll report back to you if it's as bad as it's Tommy's horrible. making it out to be. I swear, it is genuinely the worst car of the modern era. And this is coming from someone that loves Fiat. So we own an original Fiat. I would take a 500 Abarth now if they if one came up at the right price. They're that fun. Even a standard 500 has a lot of desirable features, but the 500L is just terrible. And ugh, I can't keep going. Like <laughs> Mini, can't, this can't be the 500L podcast. Everyone has checked up, but Mini, right? <laughs> People give Mini heck for the uh, Countryman. Yeah. Because it was like the big Mini. People are like, that's not a Mini, right? But at least the Countryman had a pretty delightful manual transmission. You had a good choice of engines, and you had a really good all-wheel drive system, right? Okay. Yeah. The all-wheel drive system is what makes an SUV viable in my mind, especially sure. for places like Colorado. The fact that they didn't put an, an all-wheel drive system in the 500L is like, what are you doing? Well, that's what the X is for. Isn't the X basically an but L? But they should have just... Drive? No, the X is different. The X is really? based on the Renegade all-wheel drive system, and it's ah. pretty good. Well, that's what that explains why that's better, then. They should have just dumped the L and gone right to the X. 
I guess the L so. is dismal. The L comes from that era where manufacturers were like, maybe people do want front wheel drive crossover kind of blob things. Like the Prius V. Remember the Prius V? Yeah. The Prius station wagon? Another not very good car. But I can name one that was very successful and that you would own. What? The Scion XB. Yeah. But that's Isn't more that of a, kind of the same category? That's more like, yeah. Uh, but the, it's, at least the XB, uh, second-gen XB, also hate. First-gen okay. XB was really small and like this funky hatchback. Second-gen XB was just another blob. Because they tried to make it a fake crossover. They tried to make it an element, but it just wasn't that. You're going to hate that 500L. You're going to phone me up, and you're going to be, you are so right. I will never own this vehicle. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll find out. This is the single worst car. I will report back in our next podcast. So if you're you're listening, make sure to tune in to the next one. An excuse to keep listening. Yeah, and I will inform you whether he's right or... But, I, I mean, and there's some cars that are so bad they're funny, like old Soviet cars. You're like, oh, man, look, the door just fell off. But, <laughs> A, it was the era of Stalin. Sure. The 500L has no excuse. It came out in the modern era. It wasn't trying to be a funny gag car. It was trying to be a real car. But it, they cut so many corners across the board, it was a miserable failure. Well, I think, I think we need to resurrect this podcast and move on to the list. Oh, my gosh. Before we lose everybody talking 500L here. And so on number seven... On the, uh, if you have forgotten, we are talking about affordable four by fours. Thanks to our Patreon uh, Patreon supporter, uh, that are SUVs with four doors that can also go overlanding. And on number seven on our list is the Mitsubishi Montero, and I'm specifically talking the first generation Montero, which came out in 1982. Except if you're here in the U.S., 1983, and was made till 1991. These are really cool. They're really squared off. Um, they are not fast by any stretch of the imagination. So you could get it with either the four-cylinder um, or the V6, depending on the two or the four-door configuration. But even the V6 was only 140 horsepower. Um, you could also get this model as a Dodge. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I think it was Was it the Dodge Raider? Yeah, it was, was the Raider. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And one of the interesting things about these older um, platforms is that you could also get them with an air suspension seat. Air sus- so like a semi-truck would Le- have, right? Legitimately, it had an air-suspended seat like a semi-truck. Interesting. Was get- the suspension that bad that they're like, <laughs> we have to damper this seat a little bit to make the ride quality a little bit better? That's funny. What? I don't think it was that quite that bad. But okay. yeah, you could just float along in your air-suspended seat, and you could like, I think you could even have some adjustability there. But that, And it was only, I want to say, the driver's seat. Interesting. I don't think the passenger seat was theirs. I know the rear wasn't, but I don't think the passenger was. Okay. So you had the one air suspended seat floating along. These are really cool. These cars are known as a Pajero in a lot of the world. A Dakar winner, right? Yeah. This So this won first and second in its class in 1983 in Dakar, and that pretty much st- – started the whole domination by Mitsubishi in the Dakar rally. And that went all the way through 2007, where they, with the Pajero slash Montero, um, they just, they crushed it in the Dakar rally. And these cars have the, so these really do have the pedigree, the off-roading, off-roading racing pedigree, um, for an SUV. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they are great. They rust like crazy, and they're not super safe. So don't crash one. Sure. But I love them. I think they're great. Harder to harder to find. The next gens, not as cool. No. The first gens, the ones to get. Yeah. I love that boxy styling. That's... I would even I know I know your list, your extensive list of the ten best affordable off-road four-door overland SUVs, yeah. as it so eloquently rolls off the tongue. <laughs> but I would suggest also looking at the two-door if you want a little bit more fun. 
Yeah, yeah. I think the two door, and it's interesting too because you don't see many of those around anymore. So it would be kind of a cool to have one of those. So next up on the list is the Mommobile that nobody looks at as an off roader, but the Volkswagen, terrible name, Touareg. Technically Touareg. Touareg. But most folks in the U.S. say Touareg. Touareg. Yeah, so it's, it's kind a, of an interesting spelling. It goes T-O-U-A. You put three vowels next to each other, and us American Yanks over here just kind of go, what is that word? Well, it's, I don't understand it. It's named after a tribe in Africa. It's an ethnic group um, that inhabit primarily the Sahara. Um, so that's where the name is derived from, except the people spell it T-U-A-R-E-G. Which oh. is how Aprilia spells it on their motorcycle. Interesting. Yeah, but Volkswagen was like, no, we're going to put an O U A R E G in there. Um, also, fun fact: while we're on the, the subject, you remember the the Volkswagen Tiguan? Yeah. You know how they came up with Tiguan? Uh uh-uh. uh. This is a genuine. Nobody knows this. I'm very proud of this fact. Um, there well, was. That, every, are you sure? Everybody's prepared. They yeah. want to know it. They're it, gonna. You will it not is. be the only one to know, that know this fact anymore. They ran a bunch of focus groups, right? They they okay. ran polls. Apparently, they asked the people what they wanted it to be named, and here's what they came up with: it's a combination of tiger and iguana. What? The tiguan. What? Apparently, that makes no people sense. said we want tiger and iguana, and they went, "All right, the tiguan." Did they? Did they give these people? You know, like drugs before doing this <laughs> this thing, or I mean, what what was happening at this focus group where everybody's like tiger and iguana together? That needs to be a thing. That's where make it came it from, the tiguan. It makes Strange. sense, tiger and iguana. It may okay, but sure. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. That's so so strange. I don't know. Gosh, that's such an oddball thing to combine together. Uh, to be honest, Volkswagen has been really struggling with their names in the, in the past couple <laughs> that's, decades. It's like, I want the kangaroo rabbit. Right. Yeah, give me the kangaroo rabbit car. The kangaroo rabbit. Can, can, kangaroo, the crabbit. The, 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 the crabbit. <laughs> the crabbit. Yes. <laughs> we just, there you go, Volkswagen. We just For named your free, next SUV. we just named your next SUV. Yeah, there you go. Um, but like Arteon. That's not a very good name. <laughs> no. Is it? They, had, they used to have good names like Jeddah. Like, Golf. I like that name. Golf, yeah. good name. Passat, pretty good name. Arteon. And the whole ID thing is confusing. So you have, like, ID4, now ID3 in Europe, ID7, which kind of makes sense. And then what do they call their van? ID Buzz. What is that? Yeah. What is, what is Buzz? <laughs> I don't know. They should have just called it the van. The Volkswagen like, van. Just leave it simple, the Volkswagen van, or call it the ID van if you really must. It's like Toyota. Remember when they did the truck? Oh, yeah, just the Toyota truck. Or yeah. same with Nissan, the Nissan pickup truck. Or Toyota also did the Toyota van. The van. That's right, <laughs> the van. But going back to the Touareg, produced in first gen from 2002 through 2010, but this was during the Ferdinand Pieck era of Volkswagen, where they decided, should we make it an on-road SUV? Should we make it an off-road SUV? Should we make it a performance vehicle? And they just said yes to everything, and they put a bajillion dollars into development, and what you ended up with was a tank of a vehicle with engines ranging from a V6, or W6, a VR6, right? Yeah. That's not really W. A VR6, all the way up to a V10 twin-turbo diesel. I, I saw, I don't think we got it here in the U.S., but I saw that it was possible to get it with a W12. You could. Yeah. With those. But we never got those here no, in the U.S.? No, we never got it here. But, yeah, you could in other markets get it with a W12. It, basically, the Bentley engine without the turbos. That is crazy. And That'd it, be so cool. They had a genuine low range. So it has a transfer case like 
an old proper American Jeep. So high, low range, center, and an optional rear locker. They're just berserk. Air suspension ranges from like six inches to like 12 inches or 10 inches. Insane level of travel on this car. But let me ask you this. Of all of those engines that they offered in this, mm -hmm. are any of them reliable? Yeah, the VR6 is really good. Are they? So the okay. VR6 is really good. The 4.2 V8 is okay. The issue is not so much the engine. It's everything surrounding the engine. Because gotcha. these are an electronics nightmare in terms of all the stuff they offer. So you could get it with four-zone automatic climate control, four-zone heated seats, a system that would automatically go to recirculate on the um, interior if it sensed particulates in the exterior being nasty. Same thing with, like, if you squirt the windshield, it'll automatically go to recirc so you don't have to breathe in the, the windshield Really? Washer smell. The diesels could be had with an auxiliary heater, a separate Wobosto-powered heater. I mean, ridiculous amounts of luxury, but it was like early 2000s luxury where the technology hadn't quite caught up. Yeah. Keyless entry in all four doors. You had that little um, trunk closer thing you love so much that sucks it in. Um, oh, the soft close. And there's stuff yeah. like, so every other car has a, um, uh, a hatch that's supported by struts, right? And the struts always fail. It's like, okay, whatever. Take 30 seconds a day, pop them out, and you're done with the day. On the Touareg, the struts are integrated into the roof assembly. Oh my so gosh. they extend deep into the roof, which means to replace them, it's like a big job. Batteries, the batteries live underneath the driver's seat. And you have to disassemble the driver's seat to get to the battery. Oh, I knew that because I had a Porsche Cayenne. Same car. And I had to replace the battery. In there you it. go. And my, my mechanic's like, yep, I have to remove the seat. And I'm like, why are you removing the seat? Yeah. And he said, you wanted to replace the battery, right? And like. But why are you removing the seat? <laughs> I didn't understand. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's interesting that they decided to put it there of all places. Is that for like better weight balance or something or I distribution just they, of the weight? It was, I mean, especially when you get to the V8. We're talking about a car about the size of modern day RAV4 with a ginormous V8 and air suspension. And or all V10. Things, or V10. <laughs> yeah. And you, where are you going to put the battery, right? Um, other thing too, V10s had two batteries. Oh, gosh. There was an accessory battery and a running battery. And the batteries are genuinely, maybe you figured this out too, are like tank batteries. They're like $300 to replace Jeez. them. They're really expensive. But I, mean, I love the idea of one of the V10 oh, I would diesels of one of those. But the I, I can take some maintenance. But even the maintenance on one of those scares me a little bit. Well, most things in those engines are an engine out job. Oh, my gosh. So, for example, if the starter goes out, engine out job. Jesus. Because <laughs> it's all crammed That's in there. That's a bit much. Yeah, it's a bit much. Wow, so one just sold for $18,000. That is Is that a V10? Crazy. No, V8. Oh, wow. What the heck is going on in the Touareg market? Uh, there's also an aftermarket community growing. And by the way, if you do want to spend, sell your Touareg, where's a great place where they can do it? TFL Bids. Yeah, so uh, if you have some interesting vehicle, we're trying to focus specifically on you know, off-roaders and trucks and other interesting cars. Um, we did actually just have an RSX, though, that sold on our site, and we're doing pretty well. Um, we're slowly gaining momentum here and growing, and we'd love your help to help grow the site as well. Yeah, actually, it was a really uh, – well, it's not over at the time of this podcast. It's about to end. But, yeah, it um, well met its reserve, and it's going to a new home, which I'm excited about. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun when we promote your car across all the typical channels and social channels. we got a few other great options coming up, or depending when this airs, have come up already. So, yeah, definitely check out tflbids.com. I'm really excited. It's been a, a big labor of love, that's for sure. But it's slowly uh, starting to gain some steam, and I'm, I'd really love to have the opportunity to sell your car. And we do it quickly. 
So yes. if you click the submit button, an email goes directly to Brendan, and then we uh, we, we work with you and we try to get it up in a um, well within the week. Yeah, generally, it, yeah. it kind of depends on you. You know, the ball's a little bit in your court. Well, we generally respond within the next twenty four hours um, to your submission, and then we tell you what we need to get your car listed. And as soon as you get that stuff to us. Yeah, we, we can make it build go live. It. So in theory, we could build it in a day or two. Yeah, but a few it kind of depends on, you know, if you've got everything ready to go. Yeah, we need your pictures and, and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's been great. Holy cow, it's up to nine thousand dollars. It's doing good, right? Yeah, like it's only got two hours or two minutes left. Oh gosh. We're we're literally about to end on this auction live right now. <laughs> per bid, ninety one hundred. Oh man, it's going up. Yeah, yeah so. a little bit of a bidding war going oh, on. That's, that's fun. pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, so check out tflbids.com if you're looking for a great place to sell your collector vehicle or weird vehicle or I don't know, submit it. We'll tell you if it's a good fit or not. Yeah. So next up on the list, before we get into your Yukon XL mechanical woes, we yeah. have the Isuzu Trooper. Mm. And this, I think, when I looked at the pictures of these Isuzu Troopers, I had to kind of do a double take because I had just finished researching the Mitsubishi Montero, and I think the Isuzu Trooper is kind of a spitting image of that Mitsubishi Montero, but they are different vehicles, believe it or not. Uh, they were offered here in the U.S. from 1984 to 1990, and the interesting thing, I think, is when they first came out, they came out with such a wheezy little four-cylinder. Is this 86 yeah. horsepower? Yeah. Is that real? <laughs> yeah, 1.9-liter four-cylinder with 86 horsepower, and that little four-cylinder had to, to tow around 3,700 pounds. So you wrote here, impressed with this mountain goat go winning capability and cavernous interior. Where did yeah. you get that from? <laughs> was that from a review? Yeah, that was uh, from Motor Trend, I believe. Yeah, I've never yeah. heard you say the word cavernous to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, that's what Motor Trend said back in 1984. Is They were like, well, it's really slow, but... It's got a mountain go go like capability and cavernous interior. I think they were just trying to be nice uh, and not be super mean about how slow it was. But I think Isuzu quickly realized that, and that's why in 1986 they came out with a 2.3 liter four cylinder that put out 108 horsepower. Still slow, but at least it was safer and able to keep up with traffic and. Things like that. Now, yeah. do you like the first or the second gen troopers? The first gen. That's the, that's the one that I'm referencing. Why? It has that classic boxy body style. The second gens, they were everywhere and were made by or made under so many different brands that it, I thought it was confusing. Honestly. There you go. There's the there's the second gen here. I'll pull that up. Um, I uh, I like the first gens more, but they have all but since kind of disappeared from the planet. So the second gen is, is a much more realistic vehicle to buy. But um, you've got a Montero up there. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. This has been a catastrophe. Well, okay. Anyways, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say. The second gens, they also have these little, little, there we go. little baby doors. Yeah, those are cool. Um, now, let's talk about an ad. Okay. We're going to try another one. We're going to try an ad? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did the first one work out? I don't know. It hasn't. The, the machine does it. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll find out doubly if it works out. Okay, ready? Are you going to cross your fingers? Okay, Here we go. I'm crossing them. Three, two, one, add. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Okay. I'm worried it hasn't are, worked. Are you are you still with us, everybody? I hope you are. Brendan, start talking about your Yukon woes. I'm going to check the machine, make sure it worked. Okay. Your squeaky chair there. Um, yeah, so my Yukon, some of you have been following it all, along with my woes on the Yukon that left me stranded in Nebraska over the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, it has taken this long to get it to the point that it is now, which is... It needed a transfer case, and they finally got the transfer case and installed it. Uh, now, the mechanic had initially quoted me about 1500 bucks, and that was to replace the transfer case and the front differential, which I thought needed to be replaced, but sounds like it doesn't. Um, and now he sent me a quote, which was significantly higher than that, which I've since negotiated down a little bit. Okay, so... Uh, so the initial quote was $3,200 just to replace the transfer case. And keep in mind, this is a heavy-duty Yukon, so it's not just like your standard transfer case that you can go get from any Silverado or any Suburban or Tahoe. You have to get the heavy-duty version because I've got the 8.1-liter engine in it. Um, he's now down to 2500 because he feels bad that he didn't really communicate with me. Um, but I think, I think I'm think i at an, a point where I'm just going to go and rescue this thing from Nebraska. So this thing exploded on you during a road trip? Yeah. Like, catastrophically, the transfer case exploded and the front diff exploded, or one exploded before the other. Yeah. And then Brendan was like, 1500 bucks. I'm like, wow, what a deal to replace both. Exactly. Well, it's been a bunch of weeks now. and Months. Yes. <laughs> and it's stuck in... Moose Jaw or Cane Grand Creek Island. or Grand Island. Grand Island, Nebraska. Stuck in Grand Island. And um, uh, how did you negotiate him down? You just called him and you yelled at him? You're like, this well, is crazy. No, I just reasoned with him. I said, hey, man, you know, you haven't really communicated with me that this price was going to go up significantly. The last I heard, it was going to be 1500 bucks, and that's what I expected. Uh, now I have a quote for $3,200, and you just I did not approve of that. Um, I would think if it's going to be so much more expensive that you would ask my permission to move forward, but you did not. Uh, however, he seemed like he was fairly willing to work with me, so I don't want to slam him too hard, but uh, it's still at least $1,000 more than I thought it was going to be. And I don't even know if the front differential is working. Oh, so, yeah. wow. 
It's been a headache. I, I am sorry about that. Um, also, we just sold that RSX. On it's Bid. officially sold? What did it hit? 10,900. What? Yeah. $10,900. Wow, we were just talking like literally seconds ago about it at $9,000. Yeah, just sold for $10,900. Wow, congratulations to the new owner and to the seller of that RSX. I think a great result on that. So There you go. If you want to sell your RSX. Apparently, we're the place to do it. We are cornering the market yeah. on RSX Type S uh, auctions here. That's great news. Um, so I do apologize about your Yukon XL. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's a real bummer. Well, there there may be a video coming out about it. We we we're in early discussions about it, possibly going to rescue it with the uh, with the much newer General Motors product. Yeah, which is also just broken. <laughs> Check out TFL Off Road if you want the full story there. And yeah. you're looking at buying at the auction this week another Suburban. Yeah, they've got a uh, GMT 400 series, uh, 2500. So it's got that 454 big block. And it actually looked really nice. It's the Chevy Suburban versus the GMC. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, maybe I'm just missing my my Yukon XL so much that I just, I, I need another big old GM SUV. And maybe maybe I'll go buy that one. Or maybe I'll buy a Fiat 500L. Oh, my God. We'll, we'll see. I'll stop talking to you if you do that. <laughs> so the next vehicle on the list. Cranking down through number four, we got the Ford Explorer, the first generation. Yep, and this is a vehicle that we've talked about a few times here on the podcast, but I really want to emphasize how great these first generation Explorers are. They were built on the Ford Ranger platform, and they really only built them from 1991 to 1994, and it was the very first four-door SUV that Ford ever made. They came with a four-liter Cologne V6 that put out... Uh, about 155 horsepower or 160 if you got a 93 or newer. But they're just, they're fantastic. They have these awesome retro-looking seats that are super comfortable. They have this boxy styling on the exterior. And they just, when I, like, when I drive this thing, I'll, I'll admit, I bought it, I bought a Ford Explorer as a flip vehicle. I bought it, I was going to buy it, flip, fix it up, sell it, make a little bit of money. But I've loved driving it so much that I just I can't bear to sell the thing. Now, would you say that this vehicle is dinosaur proof? What do you mean dinosaur proof? Well, it was featured in Jurassic Park. Oh, that's true. It was featured if in you Jurassic recall. Park. Yeah. yeah. Didn't it have that big bubbly uh, sky dome thing on the roof as well that they could see the dinosaurs out of? It absolutely did, yeah. Apparently during that scene, the dinosaur malfunctioned and when it like fell down on top of the car and like the kids were screaming, that was genuine fear because they couldn't control the animatronics. Oh, my god. Because water got in a dinosaur. I just learned that. Um, are you sure it failed or did the director like make sure that something happened just to get that genuine fear so that the, the reaction on it camera be, looks the best. But apparently that giant animatronic, like, we're talking like early 90s, right? That animatronic T-Rex malfunctioned and then they were like, well, just keep rolling. Yeah. Although I don't think you can show it. Okay, anyways. Um, but I love these Explorers. They're really cool. You get them in two doors too if you want the worst yeah. version or the least practical version. Right. And they made them in the Mazda, calling them the Navajo. And those were only two doors. I, for some reason, thought it was called the Banjo. <laughs> the, the Mazda the Banjo. banjo. It is, I think you're right. It is called the Navajo in retrospect. Uh, but manual transmission came straight from Mazda because these, these were from the era where, like, the Explorer and the Ranger yeah. were the same truck, right? Yeah. It, and well, I do mean truck. And that's yeah. the thing, too. So the automatics on these are not the best. Uh, I would, if you can, 
find one with a manual transmission. They are a little bit harder to find, mm -hmm. but if you can find an Explorer in any form, two door, four door, if you got the Mazda Navajo, whatever, as long as it has that manual transmission, you are in for a treat. Yeah, they're fun and they're they're comfortable. They're very reliable, right? Yeah, they work in a vast majority of situations on road, off road. Um, the tires are known on these vehicles for staying put. They yeah. don't explode. Yeah, this is not the Exploder. That's the second gen Explorer. <laughs> so this is pre-Exploder. Which I didn't know, actually. I just learned that. Yeah. Yeah, you really? just taught me that. I thought it was the first gen. Yeah. Now, next up on the list, the Nissan Xterra. The yeah. first generation. Wait, did I put Xterra there? I meant to put Pathfinder. Oh my gosh, is, oh. is, is it the time? <laughs> is it, yeah. Well, is it time to talk about the greatest vehicle known to man? Yeah, we're talking about the Nissan Hardbody D21 pickup truck. Otherwise, well, I had to do four-door SUVs, so we have to go Pathfinder, which is mostly the same. Nope, we're sticking with the D21. The D21? Per okay. usual, the winner of the TFL Classic's number one vehicle to purchase is the first-generation Nissan Hardbody. Yep. That's you guys the only go out and buy them. It's the only vehicle that needs to exist. It's the best. It's come up in five podcasts now, and each time we are more amazed than the last. Yeah. I mean, just look at that beautiful piece of... Japanese engineering. How Every, does it get any better? Everybody wants a hard body. I certainly am not going to get one easily, but this is the best way to do so. Yeah. The Nissan hard body coming to a TFL Classics podcast near you. Yeah, it might be in the next episode. Keep your ears out. I don't think so. No? I will think, for sure. It's going to make five it. five is the, the run that it's no, got and I, that's it? I will, continue to, I will continue to talk about it until Nissan starts building it again. <laughs> <laughs> Until they re-release the original hard body. In its original form. They're going to have to build that thing like down in Mexico or have something. Have you seen the Desert Runner hard body? I have not. Look how cool this is. It's got a retro oh livery. Gosh. Makes it look like a race truck, an off-road race truck from You've, the factory that came I, like that. I need that in my life, Tommy. Those are expensive. Really? Yeah, well, they are expensive. Could you just buy one and turn it into that? You could. Mm. Give me some ideas. Well, anyways, <laughs> realistically... We'll talk about the Nissan Xterra because they are not to be slept on. They're really cool. Yeah. These came out in 2000, made through 2004. And the thing that I really liked is their advertising when they came out. They coined the phrase that it is everything you need, but nothing that you don't. That's fantastic. I like Isn't that it? a lot. That's Me very too. clever. Yeah. Fantastic vehicles. Very reliable. Extremely cool as well. This is another car. I've only seen them in yellow. Really? They build I see them in silver all the time. <laughs> Maybe it's silver. Yeah. Yellow and silver. Uh, but they're great vehicles. Optional 3.3 V6 with even the option of an Eaton supercharger to make over 200 horsepower. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I, I didn't even realize that you could get these with a supercharger, but it's the same supercharger that they offered on the Frontier uh, back then. You could get that on the Xterra. So in a four-door off-roady SUV, you could have a supercharged V6 Four by four with a manual transmission. I mean, it's it's really hard to beat anything cooler than that. Plus, they had these kind of funky, roundy headlights, right, with that really cool roof rack. I just think they're really awesome. Pretty big aftermarket community. Overall, quite reliable. Xterra's very, very, very much slept on. Absolutely. Yeah, and the interesting thing, too, is the uh, rear differential for all Xterra's and Frontier's were the H233B. So it came with a number of gear ratios that offered both limited slip and open configurations. You, you, this is another thing I think yeah. you didn't pull out of your head. Did you? Where did the, you get this from? Uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay. This, whenever you know, Brendan, I have a few sources. Whenever Brendan starts to sound too smart, 
You got to call Thanks, him out. Tommy. Yeah. It's not coming from his brain. I don't know. I wouldn't know H233B. Would you know that? Well, I wouldn't have remembered it. That's for sure. That's why I had to put it down. Now, why in specific did you choose this? The most common being the 436 point to one. Four. Well, you know, I, we have to think about the listeners, Tommy. And some of the listeners are going to hear Xterra, and they are going to be an enthusiast Xterra owner. And they are going to know these numbers. And if we don't know these numbers, we won't come across as experts. Some of the listeners are going to say that. Most of the listeners are going to hear early differentials has a flange-style input to the pinion while late 2004, and then immediately <laughs> click out. That's what's going to happen here. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But did you mention the Spicer yoke style? I did not mention the Spicer yoke style, which was from 2004 through the end of production. Yeah. You see, if I had said that, you also would have been, that sounds too are smart. Your, are your eyes glazing over yet? I'm sorry. <laughs> they have glazed over. Seriously, that is half of the page is Brendan's notes here on the... The, the rear differential in the 2000 through 04 extent. Well, that's because I've, I really want to know off-roading a lot more than I do, to be honest with you. But and only so surrounding I'm trying the rear to diff, learn. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I know that having, like, a locking differential is really important to off-roading, and Tommy has taught me that. And so I'm trying to learn more, and I know the gearing in the rear diff matters, too, as far as performance goes, so it's... It's all relative, right? It's all relative, right, right. Now, um, we're going to go into number two. Honestly, I put this on this list. They don't excite me that much. But the 98-303 Dodge Durangos, based yeah. on the Dakota, they should excite me more, though, because you could get this with an optional 5.9 Magnum. Yeah, same engine that came in the Grand Cherokee 5.9 Limited, just in a three-row bigger SUV. These were based off the Dakota, and their goal when building the Dakota or when building the Durango was to basically take the Dakota and have it be able to tow up to 7,500 pounds, yet haul seven passengers. So basically what GM had been doing since the 60s. Um, they decided in 1998, now's the time for Dodge to enter the chat as far as three-row full-size SUVs go. There you go. I think they're pretty cool now. You've convinced me. Yeah? Because they're small, but they hold a lot of people. Lots of big V8 options. They're pretty good off-road. Not a big aftermarket community, but I know that people that own these are passionate. That's really why I'm convinced. Well, because I don't want someone showing up my house with a pointy stick. And I think the most interesting one is the, the one I have here at the bottom. I did give you an image if you wanted to pull that up, Tommy. Okay. They, that This is back in the era of where oh God, I know Carol Shelby, about. your favorite aftermarket guy, was putting his name on a lot of different things that weren't Ford. Anything that would pay him, basically. Yeah, and uh, he did a Shelby version of the Dodge Durango, and they took that 5.9-liter V8, which was already pretty potent, and slapped a supercharger on it. This picture, if you're watching on YouTube, came from a TFL Classics YouTube video. Look at that. I didn't know we did a video on that. <laughs> Actually, I did. I filmed it. This thing is really cool. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I forgot how cool these are. Yeah. Supercharged, right, in a Durango. Yeah, supercharged, 360 horsepower, 5.9 liter V8. I mean, I, I'm uh, literally sleeping on the Durango while I talk about it. I know. And you're just out here reminding me how awesome they are. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing I will say is I do have a 5.9 Grand Cherokee. And that thing probably gets the worst gas mileage of any vehicle I've ever owned, including <laughs> my 8.1 liter Yukon. I can't even begin to imagine the gas mileage of supercharged version of it. They do use a tremendous amount of fuel, don't they? Yes. Yes, they use a lot of gasoline. Um, however, I'm going to move on to number one. 
Okay. Because it is still my favorite four-door, affordable-ish off-roader. The Jeep Cherokee, the XJ, yep. built through 2001. These vehicles, four-liter inline-six, practically indestructible, enormous aftermarket community, great to drive off-road, pretty good to drive on-road. Um, they're just awesome. Yeah, I mean, and most of you have realized it by now, and that's why the values of these have jumped significantly. And to be honest, I, I think they're a little bit overvalued um, for what they are. You're talking... People are now spending upwards of $15,000 oh to get no. a, a Cherokee. Not that much. Um, I wouldn't pay that I, yeah, much. I wouldn't pay that much for it. But they are, if you can find a good cheap one that's not totally ratted out, they're still a really good purchase. And there's still some affordable ones out there. I think it's awesome. I really do. These Cherokees are um, just the design is looking more and more classic each and every day. Great four-wheel drive systems. Easily modifiable, front and rear solid axle, pretty small on the inside, like they don't carry as much as some of the other vehicles on the list, but they are classic in every way, every dimension. And if you can pick one up for still five to ten grand, I think they're great, great yeah. options. Yeah, you know, interesting. You know, uh, my mail carrier in town, they use a two door Cherokee right hand drive to deliver mail yeah. in my town. Yeah, they did a right hand drive one. So, so maybe I should approach them and be like, hey, you want to sell that thing? It's Probably got like 300,000 miles on it, so it'd be it perfect does. for me. Anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> if you have a vehicle with over 300,000, give, give us a shout, because Brendan might be interested. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Now, Brendan, if you want to support the podcast, where do people go? Patreon. So we've had a few people submit some comments that we are going to mention here. We did. So the first comment we used this whole, we used to build this entire podcast and any comments that you submit to us on Patreon by becoming a Patreon supporter, we will talk about it here on the podcast as long as, as long as we can. Yes, except we didn't get any this week on Patreon. What um, about except for one few, guy? It's been a few weeks since we we recorded. Is there any earlier ones? One guy um, wanted to know if I sold my Jeep Wrangler, my oh. two door. Well, did you? I did. That just came in actually, and I did. Purely for financial reasons, but I mean, it was an amazing vehicle, but it just, the market was hot and I didn't want to take a huge depreciation hit. Because like Brendan, I was worried about losing a ton of money on it. Sure. Um, so I did sell it um, and I sold it for, I only lost a couple grand, which is a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for a new vehicle though, that's not too bad. But if you want your classics, comments, suggestions to be read for sure online, check out um, Patreon. But here... We'll uh, we'll go to the the TFL Talk podcast on YouTube. We'll pull out a couple of couple of comments from the last last um, podcast we did. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Um, Let's see what do, what do people think of our list? What do we do? The most reliable vehicles was that. Thanks, Brendan, for discussing. Yeah, reliable vehicles exactly. Thanks, Brendan, for discussing cool cars we all forgot about. Interesting theory about cars that we hated. I wrote an article on hot cars and how to determine if a vehicle will go up in value. And I discussed the theory using an FJ Cruiser. Uh, the clown shoe is another good example. Absolutely. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think if you're thinking of cars that are going to go up in value, again, look at the cars that are hated. And things like the clown shoe is a perfect example of a car that everybody hated and made fun of when it came out because it was so goofy and weird and different looking. But nowadays, it's endearing. Everybody loves it and wants one. Alex Martins, excited to hear about your Acura. My Acura TL. Okay, well, we have a video that's recorded and edited. Uh, it's just a matter of when it's going to go live. I'm not sure. Maybe next week. We'll see. Or maybe it'll... maybe. That'll go up before this podcast does, so we'll see. 
Um, check out TFL Classics if you want to hear about my Acura TL. For sure, yeah, that video is going to go up here very, very shortly. Um, Tommy, uh, quick, super quick question. I have wondered for a while now, what does Ike Gauntlet mean? That is our towing test of the Rocky Mountains. Um, Ike Gauntlet is actually in reference to the Eisenhower Tunnel, which is at the very top of the tunnel. Uh, President Eisenhower was better known as Ike by a lot of circles. So Ike is oh, the Ike Gauntlet. The I didn't even know There that. you go, from President Eisenhower. Thanks. Um, what about the Taurus show for a fast sedan? You just looked at one. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Well, I looked at the third-gen show that had the V8, and it, uh, it didn't run, so I didn't buy it. But the last generation of the shows, I, they're speaking to me a little bit. That, that EcoBoost twin-turbo V6, those things are a rocket. And... Uh, they make a pretty fun car to drive, for sure. And the Comfy Cruiser, which yep. Brendan is all about. All about the Comfy Cruiser. Why would you want to ride around in something uncomfortable? That's right. Now, if you want to find more of us, where can they find us, Brendan? I don't know. TFL Classics on YouTube <laughs> or alttfl.com. If you want to find less of us, don't go to any of those places because there's going to be more of us there. And as always, the best vehicle we mentioned today. What's the winner? Well, of course, it's got to be the hard body. The Nissan hard body. Yeah, everybody go get a hard body. Everybody, They're fantastic. Everybody go get a hard body. I like that. It's yeah. going to be our new catchphrase. <laughs> you know it. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for watching or listening, whichever platform you choose. Thank you so much, and have a good one. We'll see you on the next episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.